upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, well, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Trip of Wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today, very special guest. He is an acclaimed author and wrestling historian. He is Mr. John Crowther. John, welcome to the Two Man Power Trip. How you doing? Good, John. Thanks for having me on tonight. So what's going on in your world? What is up with you? Well, we're a bunch of things. I mean, we're uh, de- dealing with unusually cold weather here in Florida. Uh, so, you know, trying to trying to bundle up you know for half the day and then and, and then stripping down to shorts for the other half of the day uh we got a new dog in the house and uh, probably even more exciting than that we just released a new series of, of books from squared circle comics so that's uh you know keeping us pretty pretty on our toes what's the latest from uh square circle you guys are always pumping out great stuff yeah, so right now it was two two days ago. We just released it's a collected four volume uh, set of all of the or most of I should say about ninety percent of the books that we previously did. It includes all of Nikolai Volkov's books. Uh, let's see, we've got Rocky Johnson's, Patricia Summerlin's, um, Jake Hager's, Lanny Poffo, uh, Bobby Fulton's, and the Killer Bees, and they're they're collected into four volumes. And it's, we're doing it with a slip cover, which is pretty cool, which holds all four volumes. We've got them in hardcover. we got them in softcover. It's a really nice way of collecting all those prior books that we did over the last few years, over the last like four or five years. Do the guys come to you to have you do the book, or do you go to them so you could do their book? Well, initially it was me going to them. But over the last couple of years, it's kind of reversed course and it's been more where people are reaching out to us and seeing if we'd be interested in bringing them on board and uh, right now I mean we're so booked out we've I think we've got contracts that have us running books all the way up to about 20 probably midway through 2024 
which wow. you know I can let you know some of those some some of those are pretty exciting that are coming out. For instance, we've got later this year we'll be releasing um, uh, Terry Funk's book. We recently reached agreements with the family of King Kong Bundy and Mean Gene Oakland. Uh, we've got books for uh, oh gosh, let me see. Um, Dan Severn coming out. We still gonna need to finish the series for Rock and Roll Express and Bruno. So we've got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in the pipe. Well, that is awesome. So you kind of uh, now you you know you've gotten so big that they're reaching out to you like, hey, we want you to do our book. Yeah, which and it's a compliment. I mean, it's the biggest compliment I could ever get. You know, and it's and it it makes me feel bad that we can't we can't get everybody lined up and out as fast as we'd like to. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, the way it is. I mean, there's there's just me doing the writing. So what I've tried to do, and you may have seen some of this, I've been branching out a bit outside of the comics. And, uh, for instance, I, I believe we're looking at maybe a March or April date. Um, but I, I, I've, just, I've just finished up the draft of about a 350-page prose biography on the uh, on the Bushwhackers, Sheepherders. So what I'm trying to do is when we have, with such a backup, as I'm offering some of these guys to go ahead and do full-length books uh, in the interim uh, while we try and catch up with all the uh, contracts that we've got and the books that we've got lined up for the comics. Because one of the issues with comics, obviously, I can do the interviews, I can write the story, but then the artwork itself takes time, which can kind of slow things down in the pipe. So we want to keep these stories coming out and these books coming out. So I'm trying to cover it by doing, you know, whether, you know, maybe maybe doing a a preview with a a full-length book and then we follow it up with a comic. It's kind of nice. Kind of nice. So, you know, we'll see how that one goes. I'll be talking to uh, Butch and Luke actually Thursday night. We're going to be getting together. They've been doing some reviews and, and putting their own edits in, and then hopefully, like I said, we'll get that book out and available to everybody by late March, maybe uh, uh, early April. That is one. Uh, I mean, we can definitely get back to comic books, but since you brought up the Bushwhackers, that one is so interesting to me that um, you know they've they've got this book. I feel like, you know, long time coming for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and people didn't realize what a career and how many years their career really spanned. I mean, going from from their early, early days. I mean, uh, Luke was 17 years old when he started wrestling. And, and to think that Luke is now in his 70s, I, I believe I, he and I were talking the other day. I think he's, uh, according to Guinness, he's like the second oldest active wrestler in the world right now. Uh, so to think that he's been wrestling close to 60 years, um, and of course Butch, you know, st- he he started probably about three or four years after Luke did, um, you know. But still, I mean, such a long time. I mean, all the work they did in in New Zealand and in Australia back in the 60s, uh, before they ever got to the U.S. I mean, a lot of people don't realize they were already in their 40s by the time they became the the Bushwhackers and joined the WWF back then. So you know, they had. So such an amazing career that spans so much time and, and so many different personas that they carried uh, being, you know, hardcore, probably hardcore before hardcore was known as hardcore uh, when they were the sheep herders and in, in, in the New Zealand Kiwis. Um, and then to the comedy stuff that they did later on when they went, when Vince brought them in. So it really is an amazing book that just really shows how versatile uh, they were and, and how they were able to do so much and work with so many different people uh, over the years. How did that all like come together? Like, how did that come about you and the Bushwhackers? Well, you know, um, being a Florida guy, I have, I have pretty good, 
uh, contact with a lot of the wrestlers. So many of them live here. And, and, and Luke, you know, lives down in, in the Dunedin area. I was living in Palm Harbor, which is probably about 10, 15 minutes from, uh, from Butch, uh, from Luke's house. So, you know, doing all the shows, I was doing a lot of shows with Rocky, uh, doing a lot of shows with Brian Blair in Florida. And of course I'd always, I'd always run into Luke at these shows and we just struck up a conversation and became friends. And, uh, yeah, I mentioned it to him. He, he was asking about the comics. Um, I don't know if you knew it. I did a little one shot. I want to say now it's probably been about two or three years ago for one of my first publishers, Antarctic Press. It was like a superhero comic. And I actually threw a short story in there with Luke and Fred Oppman. We called it the uh, the Shock Whackers. And uh, it was about a 10 page story. And he and he really liked it. He liked the art. And he goes, how about doing a comic, mate? And I said, well, you know, I kind of explained how we were backed up quite a bit. And I said, why don't we do a book? You know, and uh, he he put me in contact with with Butch, who's still living down in New Zealand, and we talked it out. And both of the guys had said, you know, they really wanted a book done, um, but no one had ever done it. They hadn't done anything, so that's how we started doing it. And we we actually did. I, I forgot to mention, we do have them under contract for a comic, um, but that'll be coming, you know, later on down the road. And and uh, we just started working on it. Um, it kind of helped that we were during the pandemic, when it was at its kind of at its peak and nobody could really go out and do much. Uh, I was doing probably twice a week. Uh, we were doing Skypes. Um, I, I would contact Luke, we'd contact Butch and we'd go two or three hours, a couple of nights a week, just chatting, uh, recording it, getting their story. And, and we, we just busted it out, but all of us had plenty of time cause there's not much else we could do. And, uh, I learned a lot and we had a lot of fun and, and now we got it in pa on paper. So uh, we'll be excited to to have fans read some of these stories that a lot of them they've never heard before. Pretty cool on them because especially like the Bushwhackers, the history of them, it's like, wow, like you said, they were around for so much longer than people thought. A lot of people thought they were cartoon characters. They really weren't. They were really, you know, yes. sadistic madmen and that they were literally, if you know, the, the stories that they always tell, it's like they went to Vince and Vince for some reason saw, saw them the exact opposite. Or the way they were portrayed everywhere else is so interesting with them. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, like one of the things that that Luke and Butch said that Vince told them is, he said, "I'm saving your career." I mean, like I said, these guys were in their 40s by the time they hit the WWF. Their their knees were. You think? I mean, they'd already been wrestling for 25 years, doing that hardcore stuff. That takes a toll on the body. Wrestling in general does. By the time they got to the to the WWF. It, Giving them that gimmick probably lengthened their career by another 20 years just because they weren't taking that. They weren't taking that beating. They weren't taking those barbed wires across the face anymore. They weren't taking, you know, uh, the, the coal miners gloves across the head. You know, they, they really, you know, by going to that comedy routine, you know, some people have kind of bashed it over the years, but they have no regrets. It lengthened their career. It gave them a, a new life. Uh, here in the U.S. and abroad, and it and it and it made their career last a lot longer, and they made a lot of money, <laughs> you know, uh, being being the comedy guys, man, a lot of figure action figures, T-shirts, toys. I mean, they really, you know, Vince's idea of doing that, it, it maybe wasn't the hardcore stuff, but it, it definitely gave them a, a whole new life. When you look at them, are you mainly focusing in on like bushwhacker stuff? Not to not tell the whole story, but to kind of get it over with the casuals no, no. or do you do the, you know, or Honestly. is it everything? Oh, we do the whole thing. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, like I said, the, the, the whole, when you look at the Bushwhackers part of their career, it's, it's probably, 
I mean, other than their retirement age and they do their appearances as, as, as the bushwhackers, but I don't really count that so much. It's probably only about maybe 25 to 30 percent of their career. So the book is actually very heavy on the earlier stuff, hmm. very heavy on their work as the sheep herders, as the New Zealand Kiwis. Uh, I remember they were laughing before. You might remember the Dream Team. Am I right? You, you oh, yeah. the Dream Team from them. But did you know that they were actually the dream team before the dream team? They were known as the dream team in New Zealand when they were wrestling. Oh, I, I remember didn't know that. Butch t- telling me that. He goes, we were the original dream team, uh, he and Butch, wrestling down in New Zealand for about a year. And you know, so they've really got a lot of stuff that they did. And so I don't want people to think when they pick it up. I mean the title of the book is The Bushwhackers, Blood, Sweat, and Cheers. But it's not just about the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers is just a portion of their career. So if you're looking for those stories that, where they were going against the Fantastics and when they were going against you know, Steve Kern and Stan Lane and all those guys, you're going to get it all in here. I mean that's – we were really heavily focusing on that area because they really were innovating uh, back in those days. I mean in creating some of this uh, hardcore that, that, we're all, that we all became very used to with ECW, the Sheepherders were already doing that stuff. Um, it's going to touch on Luke's career as a booker in Puerto Rico. I mean, there's so many stories out of Puerto Rico that people don't know. So many stories out of Texas, a lot of the stuff, Mexico, uh, all throughout Japan, uh, a lot of the in Asian countries, um, South Africa. I mean, we've got so many stories in there that I guarantee you most of the WWE fans uh, never even heard of, especially some of the, the younger generations. When you kind of look at just like the Bushwhackers in general, I mean, they're kind of rare as far as like getting out there together because Butch is where he is, I guess, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I know Luke is in Florida, yeah. but it seems like that's a, like a rare combo to be able to get together. Yeah, I mean, ever since, if you rem- if you recall, I'm trying to think of the year, it was, it was in the 2000s, Butch got sick. He got an infection, and he ended up going back to New Zealand and has pretty much stayed in New Zealand ever since, except when he came back, uh, obviously, to go into the Hall of Fame in 2015. So, you know, his health isn't always the best. I mean, I talked to him. He's doing great, but getting around isn't as easy for him, even though he did he did write me that today and let me know he was in the gym yesterday. So he, he does hit the gym here and there. But my understanding is, um, I don't know if you know Scott Wilder. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott Wilder's a, a yep. guy who, you know, he does a lot of promotions bringing guys over. Uh, he's trying really hard. Yeah, he's trying really hard to get Butch over here. The only thing, in fact, Butch was supposed to be here last year. They were going to do a, a nice tour. Uh, and in fact, we initially were going to release the book earlier. We just kind of slowed it down to try and time it when Butch can get here. But uh, originally they were going to come over last year, but COVID. So some of the restrictions there in New Zealand, basically, you know, to make a, a long story short, basically if, if, if Butch were to come over for, say, a week or two, he would have to go in quarantine back in New Zealand for like three months. <laughs> and he said, I'm not doing that live in a hotel and not see his wife and his kids for like three months just for the sake of coming over here for a couple of weeks. So I think what we're trying to do is wait until some of those restrictions are eased up a bit when it makes a little bit more sense for him to come over and actually enjoy himself and then be able to go back and, and be back with his family in a more, you know, relaxed atmosphere than having to be, you know, quarantined off for, for an extended period of time. Interesting. So, you know, they were supposed to reunite, but obviously COVID Absolutely. had other plans. It, it had other plans for him. So I know it's still in the works. Um, I'd have to talk to Scott again, but I know initially they were looking at maybe spring of this year. So whether some things have changed, I know some of these countries are starting to 
you know, ease up a little bit with all the vaccinations and stuff like that. They seem to be opening their doors a little bit. So it'd be nice if they're able to arrange it for him to get over here because obviously doing a book release, it'd be a lot more fun if we had all the bushwhackers with us. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, just to kind of rewind you back, like how did you kind of get into writing not only comic books, but writing wrestling? For wrestling? Well, you know, it, the idea goes back quite a few years. I've I've been a wrestling fan, you know, pretty much as long as I can remember. I, I would say probably, probably mid seventies when I was about six or seven years old was when I first start, started getting into wrestling. My great grandfather, I'd go over to his house. I'd usually get dropped off there where everybody else was working, and he was a huge wrestling fan. So I grew up on championship wrestling from Florida. So I was really an old school kind of guy, even as a little kid. Um, and then as I got into my forties, um, getting into comics was a little bit different. I mean, I, I had a daughter who was really into the superhero genre and all of those things. And I wasn't really happy with what was offered in my opinion for young girls, uh, in comics to me, you know, you had, maybe you had wonder woman, but beyond that, to me, at least too many of the female characters were over-sexualized. So I've always been a firm believer that if you don't like something, change it. So what did I do? I wrote I wrote my first comic book, and it was about a teenage uh, girl who was a little bit more conservative in her dress, and uh, lo and behold, it got published. So my first book I ever wrote got published, and somehow um, Nikolai Volkov got a copy of it. My understanding, if I remember correctly, was that we had a mutual friend uh, who who was a comic fan, and he picked up a copy of this Rochelle comic that I had done, uh, and he gave it to, to Nikolai, and Nikolai liked it. He liked how it was written, and he put – and so he, he had the guy arranged for me to be in contact with him. So I talked to Nikolai, and he asked me, he said, how would you like to write my story? And I said, uh, first of all, I just under, realizing that I was talking to Nikolai Volkov was, was you know, an excitement of, of its own. But I said, I'd love to. And he says, you know, I've had, I've had multiple people come to me and tell me they want to write my book or want to write my story. But when it gets down to the to the nitty gritty of it, you know, they disappear. Nothing ever happens. I said, well, Nikolai, I can tell you right now, if I promise you I'm going to do something, I'm going to get it done. So I started talking to Nikolai. We did a bunch of interviews uh, initially on the telephone, and I contacted my artist who had worked with me. His name's Del Barris. He had worked with me on the Rochelle comic, and uh, I sent him a script, and I said, you want to draw it up? And he did. Once we had the script done, I went on, a, if you've heard of the site Kickstarter, but that's where we've got the the wrestling series right now. I, I went on Kickstarter, found a good publisher uh, named Inverse Press, um, run by a guy named Kevin um, Kevin Laporte, and a girl named Amanda Rachels. And I, I, I presented it to them. They liked the idea. They created with me Squared Circle Comics, and we were off to the races. So the first one we did was for Nikolai. Um, word gets out. One of the things I learned once you become friends with some of the wrestlers, if you gain their trust, if you're an honest person, you don't screw them over. Uh, it's like a fraternity, and uh, Nikolai introduced me to Bruno Sammartino at WrestleMania in Orlando. Uh, I talked to Bruno. Bruno said he wanted a story, and we did Bruno's. Um, at that point, I was, you know, I was, you know, I was loving what I was doing. I, I, I thought the books were good; they had good reception. So I kind of went out on my own little marketing swing and started introducing myself to people, uh, different people, and that's how I, I introduced myself to Brian Blair, who introduced me, of course, to Jim Brunzel. I, Introduced myself to Jake Hager. We got Jake's book out to uh, Ricky and Robert, Rock and Roll Express, and we got theirs out. And then they started spreading the word. 
and from then it's just kind of blown up. I mean, one of the first ones to actually approach me, I always thought was a funny story. He became a very good friend was Rocky Johnson. Um, have you ever heard of the Cauliflower Alley Club? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm a member of the Cauliflower Alley Club, and I would go to the luncheons down in Tampa. So, of course, I was there at this point as a guest of uh, Brian Blair. And as I'm in there, I hear this guy say, are you the comic book guy? And I turn around, it's Rocky Johnson. Of course, you know, I'm still in this mode of being amazed whenever I meet another wrestler because growing up as a kid, I'd see these guys on TV all the time but never thought you know, I'd become actually friends with them. So I said, well, yeah, I am. And he says, well, how come you haven't written my book yet? Am I not famous enough? <laughs> and I said, my God. I said, all you had to do was ask. So, of course, we put Rockies out, and, uh, and we had a blast. I mean, for several years, uh, Rocky and I hit just about every comic con in the state of Florida together, and it was uh, really an honor and a pleasure to be with him and do that. But that's really how it got started. It was kind of, you know, I, I did a comic on a whim, got in the right hands, uh, was introduced to the right people, and it just kind of blew up, and, and we just keep trucking with it. Were you always a big like wrestling guy? Were you always a big fan? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, I, I grew up pre-WWE, obviously. Um, championship wrestling from Florida being a Florida guy, that was that was really you know the bread and butter for me. That's what we would see every weekend on the TVs. And, and then as I got older and they started pumping WSC or, or World Class uh, into the T, uh, TBS, you know, what was it, uh, 6.05 p.m.? Out of, out of Atlanta, Georgia, you know, we we didn't have cable here in Orange City. We were a little behind everybody else, but I'd head over to my grandparents' house over on Beachside here in Florida, New Smyrna, and uh, as everybody else would be eating dinner, I'd be back in my grandma and grandpa's room with the TBS on, watching wrestling at 6.05 to 8.05, uh, you know, so I, I love that. And then, of course, as you got a little bit older, they had, what was it, Saturday Night Main Event started coming on TV, and that was my introduction to, to the WWF and the the guys always seemed bigger than life, bigger than what we'd seen in the NWA territories. So of course, a lot of that was television and angles and, and, and such. And it was always exciting, you know, pre, way pre NWO. I remember watching the old WWF, and every once in a while, an NWA guy would pop up on WWF, and you'd be, it was almost like the old NWO invasion. Uh, it would be exciting to see, you know, a guy that I remembered in, in Florida, whether it be Hercules Hernandez or whether it be Dusty Rhodes popping up or, or, or or Barry Windham and, and Mike Rotundo when they when they you know they had made that jump over to WWE it was or WWF at the time it was yeah I mean it was I loved it I loved it you know but of course I was a territory guy first um, but then like everybody else you know as WWF and WWE got bigger that's kind of where we all we all kind of headed as the territories folded or were bought out by Vince but I've always loved wrestling far back as like I said just about as far back as I can remember. Do you remember, like, who got you hooked in? Was there, like, a specific guy, or you just liked wrestling in general? You liked all the wrestlers? Are you, are you talking about re a particular wrestler, maybe, mm -hmm. who brought yep. me into it? Uh, no, I mean, I can remember the guys I liked when I was a kid. Probably who got me into wrestling, like I said, was my great-grandfather, just because he was so into it. He was a huge Wahoo McDaniel fan, you know, and he would hop up and down and scream at the TV and everything. And as a kid, that's pretty influential, you know, so I started doing the – same thing of course i liked all the old cowboy wrestlers so i was a big fan of dusty Rhodes, big fan of blackjack mulligan uh big fan of uh ron bass of course a big ron bass heel turn was a big deal for me back in the day uh you know so those were the guys that initially uh caught my eye as i as i got into the wwe and the wwf 
just like most kids, I was a big fan of Hulk Hogan at the time. Um, of course, I, I kind of did a switch when the Macho Man came in because he was different. He was loud. He was crazy, you know, and he was flying off the top rope. So I became a huge Macho Man fan. Um, when I look back over the years, probably the wrestler that I, I probably liked the most through all of that was probably, of all things, Terry Funk. So I remember when I talked to Terry and and, and he agreed to let me do his book. That's when I admitted to him that I got to admit I'm, I'm a I'm fanning out right now because I, I was always a huge Terry Funk fan. Um, you know, he always you know, he's always seemed like he was getting beaten down, but he would always come back and he was screaming at everybody and yelling at everybody and just a, a tough a tough old cowboy, <clears throat> which is what I always dug when I was a kid. So, like I said, when that book comes out, you're, you'll probably you know, which was one of the biggest compliments I've gotten on some of the others. You'll probably see that. It's written. It sounds like a fan. Yeah, you'll you'll tell you you can tell when you read the book that it's it's a wrestling fan who writes these books, and <clears throat> not just a person writing a story about a wrestler. With Funk too, I mean, every aspect of yeah. of that he can you know cover with him is great because he's such, such a great wrestler, such a great talker, such a great brawler. I mean, if you look at like a pro wrestler, you would think like, okay, a guy like Funk, that's pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Like he's Absolutely. true pro wrestling. Absolutely. And then I'll be honest. I mean, he gives me a call probably once every week or so just out of the blue. And he's just, I know they, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's had a slow down a little bit with his health and everything, but I'll tell you what, when he starts talking and I get him rolling, He's just as sharp as he ever was and just as funny. I mean, he has me rolling when we're talking. And uh, and he can kick a promo out just like he ever did. It seemed like that stuff with him was a little overblown, right? The hell stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, he's got his own health issues, and just like everybody does as they get older, and he's taken a lot of beatings, you know? But uh, – but again, he's sharp enough to know who I am. And just a, a, a nobody from Florida who writes comic books. He knows my number. He knows my name, and he'll call me every other week just to talk wrestling. So, you know, he's he's sharper than I think they've let on. Because I talked to him not that long ago. Just did like a brief interview with him, and I was asking yeah. like specific stuff, like a, like super specific, and he had a very good memory of it so i was like all right i was like Absolutely. so so i was like i don't know i think, I think the stuff's a little overblown he was laughing saying that he kind of liked yeah. it because it gets his name back out there so i was like okay so Absolutely. you know he's part working part shooting you know what i mean he's definitely um yeah older he said he has his yeah. good days and his bad days but that's just funny that he yeah just like I he's said, aware just, of it. just like anybody else yep. yeah just like anybody else and i mean he uh he uh you you can tell when you read the book i mean when you hear the story read the stories that are in his comic that are coming out those are from his those are from him those are from his mouth from his memories and he didn't miss a beat <laughs> he didn't miss a beat at all when you know you're doing stuff with him you're going all the way back to the beginning of his career as all far as the back. comic book okay yeah we went we, we we started with before he was born we started with his grandfather and we we take it all the way up to his to his retirement wow of course, hitting highlights. I mean, it's not going to be a 400-page comic. It's you know, when I sit down with some of the guys who have a career as extensive as Terry did, it's usually like, all right, Terry, you tell me what the highlights to you are of your career. Who are the guys that you want to talk about? Who are the guys, you know, that you wrestled that you you consider was the epitome? Where? What matches? What championships? And that's that's how we get the story. So it's it's not going to cover every match he did. It's not going to cover every rivalry he had, but it's going to hit what to Terry were were the highlights of his career, whether it be him referring to 
to Ric Flair as old banana nose or, <laughs> or Dusty Rhodes as, as a, a bunch of mashed potatoes. We got it all, <laughs> you know. I mean, he was, he was killing me. He was killing me. That's great. And I had asked him just randomly about Onita, and he was telling me about FMW, and like literally it was like 1993, and at one point uh, Onita needed a car, so Terry Funk let him borrow his car. I mean, he was super sharp, but I just love the fact yeah. that the, the recall on some of that stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's like, you know, you've like you said, you've talked to him. So he's 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 a lot more there than they've led on to believe. But I mean, that's that's social media. You know, people are looking for for drama and, and get people talking. And, and sometimes they do blow things a little bit out of proportion. I also heard that him and Dusty Rhodes did get along. I'm shocked by that. I oh, always, absolutely. I yeah. thought they hated yeah, each yeah, other. Absolutely. What happened? No, no, it's TV. <laughs> <laughs> with the uh the funkster when when like you kind of had that all, all settled with him does he want to like see the, the finishing copy does he like you know does he want to see like the the work the work of art that you create oh, ab- ab- absolutely he does and and, and he's you know he's kind of mixed on his ability just like most guys who are or, or i shouldn't just say guys most people who are in his age range about technology um, some, I know I've sent him some images of the artwork on his phone and, and periodically, if he's got someone there that can help him figure out the phone to get those things opened, he's seen some of the art. In fact, I did a post recently where I, it was a picture, uh, of him. It was the cover art and he wrote something back like, uh, uh, looks just like me, tougher than a, tougher than a rattlesnake and, or, or, or leather and, and meaner than a rattlesnake. So I went ahead on his text and screenshotted the text and put it up with the with the cover art. So he's seen some of the art. He really likes it. Um, to me, um, the artist we got on it, he's a little bit slower than some of the others we've used, but you're going to be amazed at how fantastic this art is in Terry's book. It really is. For me, it's going to be one of the gems, if not the gem of the collection that we've got. So on the website, so just, uh, I guess the cover looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, and that's done by an artist by the name of John Bickness. He's not doing the interiors. Um, the interior, I can't think of his name right off the top of my bat, um, the top of my head. The, our publisher, Squared Circle, and, and Kevin brought him in. But I'll have to, you know, I'll, I'll send you some of the interior pages. There's one that's really amazing that's got, it's, it's, it's Terry and uh, Dory Jr. surrounded by a lot of the, the alumni from West Texas State, such as Dusty and, uh, uh, oh, God, um, Oh, I saw that. Tully, Tully Blanchard, Bruiser Brody, Hanson. Yeah, Brody. It's really Stan Hanson. That's that's that interior art that we're getting. It's really fantastic. And wait till you see it colored. I mean, it's it's really going to be a top-notch book. So anybody who's a fan of wrestling, and particularly a Terry Funk fan, you'd be doing yourself a major disservice not to pick that book up because it's going to be really legendary. And, and, And talking to Terry, our hopes are, we get it out soon enough. He'd like to sign a bunch of them for fans too. So that would be a real bonus, uh, you know, Ooh. for people to add to their to their collection of, of wrestling memorabilia, particularly for Terry. Rare uh, Terry Funk autograph too. That'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as some of the other guys, I know you mentioned obviously Bruno. What was it like working with Bruno, getting that done? Oh, Bruno is he is. He, you know, from what and you probably you've seen Bruno and in, in, in his interviews and things in the past, very professional. Um, I remember first time I met Bruno, he's just, you know, he's like, if, if uh, Nikolai Volkov trusts you, I trust you. 
and uh, he just wanted to get his story done too. He said, you know, I, he he didn't care about if I send him. Co- I mean, he wanted to see copies and see the art, but he says, John, I'm not doing shows or anything like that. He goes, but the importance of this, I want to get the book done. I want it for my kids. I want it for my wife. I want it for my fans, and uh, just very professional. Um, and and the nice thing, even though he didn't live long enough even to see his first issue, to be honest, then he passed away while the art was being done, but. The script itself, he approved the whole thing. So, I mean, that's my one regret. I wish he'd been able to see the finished product, and he didn't. But he did approve the final the final script. So everything you see in his series is the script as told by Bruno and as approved by Bruno. Um, nice thing about that is any of his books, as we sell them, a portion of the proceeds all go to his wife. Sadly, you know, his son, one of his sons, passed just afterwards, who was also a big catalyst in us getting that book done. So, um, you know, that's it's you know. It's an honor to be able to tell that story, to work with Bruno. He had such an amazing life. Uh, for people who didn't know about some of the difficulties Bruno had to overcome um, to do what he did. I mean, here was a boy when he was a boy who was living in, in Italy during World War II. Um, he actually was living in the mountains, the forests above his town with his mother and his and his siblings because the Nazis had taken over his town. They were literally living in a camp in the woods, scraping by for food, whatever people could go into the town and raid out of houses and bring back into the mountains, as that's what they would eat. When the war ended, he wasn't healthy enough to pass the physical to come to the United States. You know, people may not realize that. He failed the physical. So he had it took him an extra year before he could even get to the U.S. because he was so malnourished. And then several years later, he had the world record in the bench press. I mean, <laughs> he really overcame some of the some incredible hardships to do what he did to, you know, eventually become a uh, world heavyweight champion for, you know, unmatched amount of years. He had to overcome, you know, some obstacles, uh, even within wrestling um, with Vince senior um, that he had to overcome. And he went to Canada, became super famous in Canada. And eventually where basically Vince was bringing, was begging him to come back because he and the Italian community in Toronto had grown so big and, Vince knew he needed to bring him into the WWF uh, at that point because, you know, just to help with ratings and such. So he overcame so much to to do what he did, and 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 it was an honor to work with him, and 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 to uh, and to know that he was happy with what we were putting together. Such a almost too humble of a guy, such a class act, too nice. I oh. think you know what I mean, like for who he is. It's almost like, yeah. hey. You're Bruno, you know what I mean? He almost didn't realize oh he was Bruno. Well, that was how it was when I was talking to him. I, I couldn't believe that I was actually talking to Bruno, and he was as respectful to me as he was. It was it was like, wow, do you realize who you're talking to, Bruno? <laughs> you know? But he uh, he was amazing. In fact, he's one of the last saved – I'll never delete it – one of the last saved voicemails on my phone is Bruno. Wow, look at that. That's very cool. He's a such yeah. I can't even like describe it, but just such a class act. It's crazy. I remember meeting him at an autograph signing. He sat everybody down, like you know, he gives yeah. you a few minutes. I mean, just like wow, like, how nice is this guy? Does he not realize he's you know like the Mount Rushmore type uh, pro wrestling oh, guy? Exactly. I mean, and honestly, if all the and no no slight to any of the other wrestlers I, I I've become friends with or worked with, but Bruno is probably the most. God, he's 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 how do you, how do you even describe him? Like you said, he's a Mount Rushmore guy. 
he was, you know, he's someone that is just a dream that you would even get to meet, but he's so professional and so kind. Uh, and like you said, so humble. Um, yeah, he, he was amazing for the business. And, uh, and I feel honored to have even known him for the brief amount of time that I did. Was he happy with the book? Yeah, he loved the script. But like I said, he did, he never had an opportunity to see the finished product. He passed away before we got it out. Right. But he loved the script. He approved the script. And uh, that's that's enough for me. You know, that's enough for me. And, and uh, some of the others, we've lost a few. Um, Nikolai the same way. Nikolai did get to see his finished book. And I remember telling him uh, before he passed away, I said, Nikolai, I promise you I will get this book in comic stores. He wanted that more than anything else. And to be honest, that is the only comic of the wrestling comics that ever went into – have you ever heard of Diamond Distribution? Mm-hmm. Yep. That is the only one of the wrestling books that actually went through Diamond and was available to comic stores worldwide was, was uh, Nikolai's. I promised him I'd do it. I got it done. Um, Rocky the same way. Uh, Rocky – when Rocky passed, he got to see the book. I remember we had just finished the um, Kickstarter for Rocky, and a bunch of people had ordered – this was a kind of a – a crazy story. A bunch of people had ordered autographed copies of Rocky's book. We had mailed the books to Rocky, and he'd, he they arrived at his house, and I got the word about two or three days later that Rocky had died, and we had no idea whether he'd signed him or not. And eventually I got word from Sheila, his wife, that she said, I'm mailing him off. Rocky signed him all the day before he died. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so he got to see his books. And uh, he, and a lot of people got some very special autographed copies of those books. Same thing with Nikolai. Nikolai, uh, we didn't know if he'd signed them. In fact, um, someone had spoken. I want to say, God, it's slipping his mind, the guy that used to work with Nikolai, because we, we were talking to him, and he wasn't sure what had happened. And Rusev had volunteered to sign a bunch of the books if, if uh, Nikolai hadn't been able to. But sure enough, Nikolai got it done too right before he passed away. And a lot of people then, again, got some very special memories because they were maybe the last things that they, these guys ever signed. Right. Their books. And wow. them out, you know, so some really special stuff there. Wow, crazy. And, uh, like, they both kind of, I mean, obviously older guys, but both came as a quite a surprise. I don't know if you felt the same way. Like, wow, I can't believe they yeah. passed. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I talked to... I want to say I talked to Nikolai maybe a day or two days before he passed. You know, he, he hadn't been feeling well. He'd gone into the hospital and, uh, you know, there were some issues potentially with his heart and, uh, and it took him, you know, they went from, you know, telling him, Hey, you know, you need to follow what your doctor says. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. And then next morning you find out he's gone. The same thing with Rocky. I mean, Rocky had gone up to uh, Chicago and done a signing up in Chicago. He came back and, Again, we talked, I want to say, maybe a day or two before he passed, and uh, kind of when we have these conversations, I mean, if you ever, I don't know if you ever talked to Rocky on the phone. He was he was a funny guy, but he would he would maybe have Sheila call me, and then he'd be in the back. I don't know if he was sitting on his couch or in a recliner. He'd be yelling to me, hey, John, da, 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 da. And, and a lot of times I'd say, Sheila, just put him on the phone. <laughs> but uh, we were doing this yelling through the phone to each other just a couple of days before he passed, and you know, he was all stuffy, you know, he'd, he'd had this, this cold or flu or whatever he'd caught at the time. And, uh, and again, it was a shock. The next morning I find out that he'd had a blood clot shoot up to his lung and it took him and nobody was expecting, you know, 
you know, there's any lesson to be learned from that is, is uh, don't take anybody for granted, you know, because you could be talking to them right now and then and tomorrow morning they could not be here. So you got to appreciate your time with everybody because uh, we never, our, our times aren't promised, you know, and anything can happen at any point. And I learned that lesson, you know, a couple of times with uh, some very special people. And uh, of course, you know, Bruno pass, passing too, it probably wasn't as unexpected as Nikolai's and Rocky's, I kind of knew that Bruno had have been having some health issues and Bruno knew he had some health issues. So it probably maybe more, more, more of a surprise to fans than it was to people who actually knew him and spoke to him on a regular basis. But still, you know, you're never, you're, no one's ever, I think, ready to see a legend, uh, be it whatever, whatever industry they're in to you know, have them here one day and gone the next. You're never really prepared for that. And Bruno was in his 80s, right? 82 or 83 when he passed? So, I mean, he definitely had a full, full yeah. life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And to think that, you know, I think eventually, and this is just my opinion, I'm not a medical guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I think his life as, as a child was probably so rough with his health and, and malnourishment. And, and, you know, when you're young, when you're seven, eight, nine years old, you need to be you know, eating proper food and, and getting proper exercise. And because of what happened in the war, he wasn't getting that, you know, so whether or not his, his uh, organs were as developed as they probably could have been, if he had led a normal, healthy childhood, you know, eventually those things, I think, catch up with people. And, and, and he did quite a bit and, and uh, probably because of how healthy and, 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 and uh, at least, you know, a, as an athlete and working out and, and he, he followed a very strict regimen and a diet and stayed away from steroids and those things. He probably extended his life longer than it, it probably was rightfully should have should have been considering, you know, what he went through as a child. But uh, but, yeah, he had a pretty good long life. I was thinking that, too, with all the stuff that happened, he definitely kept himself in such good shape. He got to live a much longer life because he was such a good, you know, big yeah. health nut. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at those pictures of him right up towards the end, I mean, that guy, you know, there'd be there'd be guys in their 20s and 30s that'd be envious of the <laughs> of the muscles that the Bruno was carrying around. For sure. Yeah. You are great shape. Always in great shape. Yeah. Yeah. So from like beginning to but end. I think, but I think, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was going to say, in fact, it just reminded me one of the things that Bruno said is I remember having this exact conversation with him. And he says, yeah, he goes, what you see on the outside isn't necessarily indicative of what's going on on the inside. Hmm. Well said. You know. It's a good point, though. Very well said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From, like, start to finish, beginning to end, like, how long does it take you, like, say, Bruno's book? How long does that process take? Okay, well, it kind of varies, honestly. Um by the book, but generally speaking, I will do an interviews. My interviews will, you know, if I'm able to to get a conversation going and, and, and keep it flowing for for a couple of weeks. Usually within a couple of weeks, I can get all the interviews uh, aspect of it done. Once I have all my notes, uh, for me personally, it might take another couple of weeks to write the script. From there, we send it off to the wrestlers for their approval. Um, they might make a couple changes here and there. I, I don't think I've ever had any that had any full blown, you know rewrites or anything like that they may they may add a little few words to a story here or maybe take out this story or add this story or something like that but that's usually pretty quick but where the time starts to kick in is once we get it to the artist um, some artists are obviously faster than others but 
but you know, a, a solid comic book artist. I mean, when you're talking DC level, those guys can sometimes kick out two, three pages a, a day. But you know, some of the guys that we're working with, you know, they're and they're DC. Some of them are DC and Marvel guys, but they're working multiple projects. So we're usually looking at they might kick out, you know, a page or two a day, maybe you know, five pages a week. Um, once we get that artwork in. People don't realize when you create a comic book, there's a lot that goes into it. So you get you write a script, you get it to an artist. He does pencils, then he has to do inks. Then we have to get to a colorist who does all the colors. Then we got to get it to a, a letterer who adds all the text in. And then, of course, the editor goes back in and takes a look at everything. We all read through it, make sure there needs to be stuff done. And then we get a finished product. Um, generally speaking, if, we're, if all is, is rolling in, in a quick and, 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 and fast manner, we can usually kick a book out in several months. Then, of course, we take it to Kickstarter, which takes a little bit longer, and sometimes we got to get on a waiting list to get books onto Kickstarter. Um, can be – depends. It really just depends. It could be several weeks, so it could be several months. Um, Kickstarters, we usually – we used to run them for 30 days. We now run them, for instance, the one that's running right now. We just do it for two weeks. So you've got two weeks to jump in and get it, or it's or it's it's, it's over. Um, we do print some extra copies that people can buy from us or directly from the publisher. But beyond that, we don't over we don't overdo it with printing. Um, and then it usually now, especially if we've slowed down a little bit again with COVID, but we got to get it off to the printer. And printers, when it when when things were going great, usually 30 days would be a turnaround from a printer. But now we're sometimes looking at two months when we turn around from a printer. And then we ship it out. So beginning to end, you're usually looking probably could be anywhere from nine months to a year getting a book out. When you go through the whole process of the writing and the art, the coloring and the, the running the Kickstarter, getting it to a printer and then getting it shipped out to people. As far as and that's why, like I said, there's a there's a backup. I mean, I've tried to and one of the things we've got going now is like at one point, I want to say I wrote I had like four or five scripts completely written, sent off to various artists. And as they were getting those books done, we would have to, we'd get the book done, we'd run a Kickstarter. Kickstarter won't let you start a new Kickstarter or a new a new campaign until the other one is complete and fully shipped. So we have a little bit of a backup and, and we try and pump them out. So right now I'm back in the process of, of, of writing several scripts. So I'm working right now on Rock and Roll Express number three as um, as Terry's book is being drawn from here, I'm moving on to Hacksaw's third book and then trying just to think off the top of my head, what we've got scheduled. I think we're doing Hacksaw's third, then we're doing Bruno's third. And then I think I'm, I'm moving on to uh, the warlords book. If I'm right. Oh, Lord. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a fun one too. Yeah. Terry's a great, he's, he's a, he's a great interview also. And a real fun guy to be around, and he's and he's probably almost as big as he was back in the day. <laughs> yes, I saw a picture of him recently. He's still in great shape. Oh, he's in amazing shape. Yeah. So, how many things do you work on at once? When I'm working on, I'm only working on one script at a time. Otherwise, I can I don't, I don't want to confuse my stories. But uh, but I'll do like you know once once I get the script done like I said I get the script done I send it off to the artist I move on to the next guy and so I'm kind of like everybody else just kind of waiting and watching the art come in so like I said as soon as I'm done as soon as I'm done here with uh, Ricky and Robert's third and final book I'm moving straight into Hacksaw's book and I finish up Hacksaw's I'm going to move straight on and and finish writing Bruno's series 
then uh, and, and those interviews are done. Um, then I'll be starting the interviews with uh, with Terry Zapensky, and we'll get his book out there. His will be a one shot, probably an extended one shot, like we did with Rocky. Anybody out there you haven't worked with yet that you want to work with? Oh yeah, I'd love to work with the Rhodes family. I'd love to work with Dustin, and and tell the story not just his story, but the story of his dad. I think that'd be a fantastic series. I, I'd love to work with Blackjack Mulligan's family. I'd like to talk to uh, to to Bray if he's if he's willing to do it and, and just tell the story of the Mulligan family. Um, Ricky Steamboat would be another great one to deal with. There's so I mean God, there's so many amazing stories that are out there. I I tend as you can hear I tend to to lean towards more of the old school guys that I grew up with than the current guys, but that's just me. But uh, I think that'd be fascinating. I'd love to work with some of the, some of the ladies. I mean, Wendy Richter would be a good one. Um, we'd like to get some more of the girls in from glow. As you know, we did two glow books and we'd like to get a series of maybe, you know, three or four of the glow ladies together that we can put into a collected volume. Um, so there's, you know, there's quite a bit of people I'd love to work with out there. And, uh, and, and hear their stories and put their stories out there. This, it's so much history, you know. Particularly for for fans of wrestling and and, and fans of, of wrestling history, you know. I think it's important to, you know, to memorialize these stories and, and get them out there for people. Oh, we forgot to mention Sonny from Glow, Magnum TA. You got a bunch still going on. Oh, Magnum TA is coming. Yeah, Magnum TA is coming up. Yeah, there's so many. I lose track <laughs> every once in a while. We've been talking to. Uh, uh, Dynamite Kids family uh, about doing a book as well. So we've got, like I said, we've got a we've got a heck of a lineup still in the pipe waiting to come out. Tugboat, I signed Tugboat too. Can't ever forget Big Fred Outman. So we're gonna have a, a the faces of Fred Outman be another one of our books. That's gotta be oh man, that's an awesome one. He's gonna do so much with that. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's such a fun guy, and he's and he's a, he's a fairly talented artist too. I didn't know if I don't know if you knew that. No. So I'd mm-hmm. like to get uh, yeah, I'd like to get him to can maybe contribute some cover art. Uh, you know, there's some yeah, you'd be shocked at some of the artists that are in the wrestling community. So Tony Atlas, and Fred Ottman, of course, everybody knows Jerry Lawler's one hell of an artist uh, as well. But there's some really talented guys out there. You know, they they're on the road, and they teach themselves these different talents, whether it be drawing or or singing or whatever these guys picked up can pick up these skills over the years i I think what they say andre was one hell of a one hell of a card player yeah yeah he could probably gas anybody out out of the room too (laughs) absolutely so as we hit the wind down head towards the finish i was just curious about like current day wrestling do you watch current wrestling are you into current wrestling or you don't really watch honestly no not really and part of it is because my cable sucks so i i don't get a lot of uh i don't get a lot of wrestling on my tv anymore so when i do there is a i think on my hulu or one of those i can i can tap into some of the old memphis wrestling and that's probably what i've been watching the most of over the last couple of years but again it's watching the old stuff you know just like anybody else i read the dirt sheets that's how i get the news on the new stuff um, you know, but I, I grew up a fan of old school wrestling, you know, it wasn't as much of the high flying stuff. It was more of the actual mat work and, 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 and I don't know, that's what, that's, that's what my love is. It really is. I mean, not to knock, you know, what they're doing now. I, I know they've got a lot, obviously they got a lot of fans. They're making a lot of money, 
but it's just it's not as much my cup of tea as the as the old school stuff was. I don't know. To me, something's missing. Like I still watch it. Yeah. I can still get into it, but there's something missing. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to tell myself, is it because I'm older? But I don't think so. I mean, I, I just think, you know, when you see a match go and everybody's no selling, everybody's finishers, and you got guys flying, you know, you know, you get hit with uh, an elbow off the top rope like 15 times, and they're still popping up and 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 <laughs> and going another 10, 15 minutes in a match. I mean, geez, I remember days when. I'd watch that wrestling from Florida. You put somebody in a headlock. I mean, it was almost like a finisher. You know, if, if, if Savage went up off the top rope and dropped an elbow on you, that was it. You didn't, you know, you didn't have another 30 minutes left in the match. But now it's 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 taken a lot of the realism out of it when you see guys that can that can take every move in the book and it doesn't even phase them. It's not as entertaining to me. You know. To me too, it's like. The finishers, I just you know, like the matches and over, kind of, I don't know, yeah. it hurts it a bit. I mean, I guess sometimes it's good, but not every single match where, like, you know, the guy's gonna kick out, just totally kills the false finishes to me. Oh, exactly. I remember in talking to, you know, obviously I've talked a lot to Luke about doing their book when he was a booker, um, especially during his time down in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that's just not how you do it. I mean, you, you, you. you pop everything off in, in, in the first match, too. I mean, that's the other thing. You have an opening match, and everybody wants to wow the fans with all their fantastic moves, but you don't leave anything left for the guys that follow you up. <laughs> you know, you've, you've burned the crowd out in the first match. You know, you kind of the matches should need to be run where you're working up to the, to the main event. You can't, be, you can't have an opening match that, that, that wows the fans with every possible move in the book and smashing people with chairs and doing all of this stuff by the time you get to the to the final match everybody's burned out and they just i don't know some of the arts lost i don't know if it's because everybody wants to be the superstar or or, or kind of what the goal is there but you know, who knows who knows but it just doesn't to me it doesn't have the exact same magic as i was used to as a kid and not even just a kid even leading up into my college years during the attitude era and stuff like that it's just kind of changed there's uh, something the stars aren't quite right. Something, I mean, not that Reigns and Lesnar and these guys aren't great, but there's just something about star power back in the day. Let's say WWF yeah. with Hogan and Savage and Piper and like, oh, something different. Those guys are truly oh, yeah, larger than life. Yeah, when you think of the lineups they had right now, any one of those guys would have been you know, top of the heap nowadays. Of course, I do think part of the problem is an oversaturation of media. Um, when I say media, I don't mean like the news broadcast. I just mean like whether it be social media, whether it be cable networks, there's just so much out there and there's too much information. I mean, back in those days, uh, you know, even all the way up until when probably the exposure was, was hacksaw and and the iron sheet speeding down the interstate and they got pulled over together. But up until that point, you could do, and even for several years after, I mean, a wrestler could be a heel. And then you wouldn't see anything about him until the next time he appeared on TV. You know, nowadays everything is documented, whether it be on cell phones or whether it be on Twitter or whether it be on Facebook or whatnot. And it and it kills the magic because how can you you can't really play a persona when your entire persona is being broadcast on a daily basis on social media, uh, and that kind of kills it. You know, I think you know, and that's not necessarily the fault of professional wrestling. That's just technology in general. Um, 
has stolen some of the magic away from it. Do you have an all-time favorite wrestler? What's that? An all-time favorite wrestler? Yeah. I, like I said earlier, probably Terry Funk. You know, um, at my my during my life, I went through stages. I don't know if most people do that. When I was a, a real young kid, my bit my I, I was a huge fan of Wahoo McDaniel and Blackjack Mulligan, but I was also a fan of Terry Funk. And as I got older, um, again Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Savage, but I was still a fan of Terry Funk. <laughs> and as I got old, you know, even older than that. Everything's going on when Terry Funk would appear. I was still a fan of Terry Funk, so I think when I, as the others would fade out of my uh, kind of lexicon of, of favorites. So over all the years, if I had to look back, the one wrestler I always stuck by and, and always was, I, I was always rooting for and cheering for. I'd have to honestly say it was Terry Funk, and 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 that's a big reason why it was such an honor to eventually get him to agree to allow us to tell his story. You know, and uh, I'm excited. Really excited for people to see what he's done. Do you have some favorite matches, or maybe a couple that you could think of? Oh God! One of the most amazing matches I can always remember off my head is, is uh, of course Macho Man and, and and his runs with with uh, Ricky Steamboat. You know, those are some amazing matches. Um, of course, Steamboat and Flair. I mean, there were so many. None, none that really stand out as my favorite of all time, but just those series of matches that those guys had, uh, the series of matches that that Funk had with with Flair and uh, with Dusty Rhodes. You know, if, if you told me one of those matches were going to happen, Flair was going to meet 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 Funk, or Funk was going to meet Rhodes, or Funk was going to meet Jerry Lawler. I mean, all of those matches, uh, absolutely amazing. The Memphis Coliseum match with Terry Funk when it was just Funk and and, and Lawler. I don't know if you recall the one I'm talking about. No fans. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. So those, I mean, so there's not one in particular that stands out, but some of those matchups over the years that were ongoing. Um, they don't really do that in wrestling anymore, I don't think, uh, as much. Um, other other than they do the same match over and over every night, they just don't build up a storyline on it. But those series, whether it be the the Steamboat Flair series, or the the Funk uh, Flair and Rhodes and Lawler series, or or Steamboat and Macho Man, just amazing series as a whole. Now, as far as like what's next, I know you talked a little bit about it, but kind of what else is next for you? Like, what you know, you got some stuff coming down the pike, more books, more comics, something else maybe aside yeah. aside from wrestling. Like, what, yeah. What's up next? Yeah, we've got some, I've got some appearances coming up. I mean, I've got some regular. Um, Comic Con appearances. Uh, let's see, we've got trying the next the next appearance actually I think I have is on the 24th, and that is actually it's Russell Daytona. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's going to be at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. Uh, ARW. Have you heard of the ARW promotion? Sounds so they're going to put on a show. Uh, there's going to okay. be some li- there's going to be live wrestling. I'm actually going to have Glacier at my table. But I, I'm trying to recall the lineup that they've got. I know they've already announced Larry Zabisco and Brian Blair, but they're going to have a nice lineup of uh, wrestlers for meet and greets, and then they're going to have a live wrestling show afterwards. So that's in Daytona uh, Beach at the Ocean Center on the 24th. Um, on the 30th, I'll be out in Ocala. I don't think I'll have any wrestlers with me, but I'll be at uh, Brick City Comic Con out in Ocala, Florida. In June, a uh, big show. Have you ever heard of River, River City Wrestling Con? Oh, yes. Okay, so they're going on their third year. I'll be up in Jacksonville for that one, and I know 
looking at the lineup there, I know they're going to have some of the NWO guys. They're going to have DDP. Uh, they just announced Butterbean today. Uh, so I'll be back up for that show in June. Wrestling fans, you really, if you live, especially if you live in Florida or in, in, in Georgia, some of those states that border the northern edge of Florida, you're you're missing out big time if you don't go to that show. Uh, it's a two-day show, has live wrestling matches as well. Um, great one to check out. I'll be doing those. A few other, you know, smaller comic cons in the area. But those are the two main uh, big ones I'll be doing. Oh, uh, down in, I'm trying to think it's in, uh, is it in July, I believe. I'll be at CWF Fan Fest uh, down in Odessa near Tampa, Florida. and Or Lutz, Florida, I'm sorry. It's in Lutz. And that's one that they usually – all they do is they bring in legends from championship – they had to appear in championship wrestling from Florida. So I know the headliners this year are – of course, they weren't Axe and Smash then, but it's going to be Demolition uh, is going to be there. And they're going to have uh, Medusa Michelli is going to be there. Uh, Mad Maxine, I'm actually reading her book now. Uh, she's going to be there. Uh, Steve Kern, I think, was just announced earlier this week. So that's another great show, too. If you like old-school wrestling, if you're a fan of championship wrestling in Florida, uh, uh, Barry Rose puts that event on, and it's really a, a Dave Penzer also. That's a really great show, and that'll be in July down near Tampa. So that's some of the stuff I've got lined up for 2022. Um, of course, all the books coming out. Uh, people, I encourage uh, people, if they, if, they wanna, if they haven't already read some of those single volumes or issues we did for, for Bruno and for Rocky and for Nikolai and such, or if you like the if you like to get collected issues, hardcovers and such, I would encourage people to go to Kickstarter. Again, we lost it about two days ago, so we got about 12 days left. Uh, and you can find it. It's called the uh, uh, oh gosh, they gave it a new title. It's the Illustrated History of Pro Wrestling, and it's out put out by Squared Circle Comics. So if you go on Kickstarter, you can pick some of those up. I think they still got some of the specials going on. Those. And then uh, obviously, if you follow me on Facebook or or anything, you'll, I'll be announcing um, the release of the Bushwhackers book. And again, my my best estimate on that is probably going to be end of, you know, towards the end of March, beginning of April. Is probably a good guess on when that book's going to come out. And what are the social media plugs for Facebook and the website? Well, you can find me. Just look for John Crowther. Um, you know, I I tend to add people if they seem like they're fairly normal uh, to follow. Um, I've also got a writer page. It's John uh, Johnny Crowther, comic book writer. You can follow the Bushwhackers book. Uh, it's called Blood, Sweat, and Cheers, uh, and that's on Facebook as well. You can also follow Squared Circle Comics. They're on Facebook. Uh, they've got links to their uh, regular website where you can actually buy single issues and things that are already in print. Um, and and look, look us up. Follow us. We've got some great stuff coming out, and uh, I think if you're a wrestling fan, you'll, you'll find some really interesting, some really interesting things to take a look at and possibly pick up. Awesome stuff. There's so much great uh, comic books and then the Bushwhacker book to look forward to. I mean, Terry Funk stuff, you got awesome stuff out already and so much good stuff coming Absolutely. down the pike. Oh, and, and something else, because I got so much going on, I forget. Some people may have seen some of the new announcements, at least on Facebook. I don't know if they're announcing them on other social media sites. It's Chella. Have you heard of Chella Toys out yes. of the UK? Yes. So I'm working with Chella Toys. I've helped them get a bunch of our guys. Um, sign the contracts, and what we're going to start working with them is they're going to be releasing action, action figures on some of the guys and gals that we work with, accompanied by mini comics. So 
Um, I know right now I've got them dealing with uh, the killer bees. They're dealing with Glacier. Um, God, they're, they're the ones who hooked us up with King Kong Bundy and Mean Gene Oakland and the Dynamite Kid. So there's really some cool stuff coming down that I'll be working with Cella Toys on as well. So keep an eye out for it. Awesome. Look at that. Even more stuff. Very cool. But John, yeah. uh, thank you so much. I appreciate all the time. Yeah, John. Likewise. Thanks for having me on again. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.